Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Good morning, everyone. Hi. I was the guy that was just singing. I'm preaching now. Hi. If you haven't met me, I'm Pastor Jordan. This is my lovely wife, Brooke. Hi. Love you. Yeah, let's hear it for Brooke. She just had a baby a few months ago. She's a champ. Love you. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I feel like you wouldn't have said it unless I said it, but that's okay. It's probably the most polite thing to do, right? Not just shout, Happy New Year, randomly, while someone's speaking. Uh, It's good to see you guys. Um, Can you believe it? Two holidays in a row. Last week was Christmas, right? Hence the decorations. I learned this week that um, historically, Christmas started on the 24th or the 25th, and then it would go on for 12 days, right? Like the 12 days of Christmas. Isn't that wild? So technically, it's still Christmas, so enjoy. <laughs> and if you're a Christian, it's Christmas all year round. Um, well, <clears throat> it's the brand new year, 2023. We get to uh, mess up on our journals every day and write 2022 for about a month or two. For some of us, it's even longer. And then we go, oh, it's a new year. Um, and I was thinking about the new year. And uh, does anybody do resolutions? You're over that, right? Oh, stop doing that when I was done with my 20s. I still do resolutions. I like resolutions. And I looked up online what the top resolutions are. And this is from Time Magazine, which, you know, regardless of whether you find Time Magazine um, truthful, articulate, that they take care of your political view, whatever, this is, it's just like what people pick for New Year's, okay? All right, we good? Let's, let's go through these real quick. Number one, people pick as a resolution, lose weight and get fit. That's two things, but it's one thing on here. I don't really know. Lose weight and get fit. Number two, quit smoking, okay? Number three, learn something new, right? Number four, eat healthier and diet. I'm trying that one out this year. We'll see how it goes. You can keep me accountable, okay? Does that work? Number five, get out of debt and save money. That's a good one. You should probably do that. Highly recommend Dave Ramsey. Go for that. Spend more time with family is number six. Number seven, travel to new places. Number eight, be less stressed. Number nine, volunteer. You can do that at your local church. Uh, And number 10, drink less. Okay, we're all, you don't need a show of hands, okay? I'm drink less, but like we're all probably doing like eight or nine or 10 of these things, right? So happy new year. These are the resolutions that most Americans pick for the year. Um, And today, we're gonna continue talking about Acts, right? We've been talking about Acts for a few months. We've been reading through the book of Acts pretty methodically right? And so the last we read a few weeks ago was chapter four, right? We read chapter four and into chapter five. And we got into how the apostles, um, Peter and John, they healed this lame beggar in chapter three, right? And then chapter four, they're standing before the Sanhedrin, which is a fancy word for the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the whole legal system of Israel, right? So these, are, these guys are like 
the legal system. They're in charge. Uh, and they stood before them after healing this guy, and they were like, what name do you do this in? You guys aren't, um, you guys aren't rabbis, blah, 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 all this stuff. And they basically tell them, hey, stop teaching in this name. Go be on your way. And in Jewish systems, you would get, like, the first time you go to trial, you get, like, a slap on the wrist, and they're just like, don't do that. Okay, goodbye. And so pick up in chapter 5. Um, Pastor Michael taught a few weeks ago about how Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, right? And now they're dead. They're gone. Okay, so we're not going to talk about them. Uh, but uh, the only thing I'll say about that is that the Lord will do whatever he wants to do to protect his church, right? Okay, and so the church was in its infancy at the beginning of chapter 5, and, and the Lord is protecting the sanctity and the, the, of the church, right? Does that make sense? Cool. So we'll pick up in uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And the title in my Bible says, Many Signs and Wonders Done. All right, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, some translations say Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out to the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Whoa. It kind of reminds me of like when Jesus said, hey, to the disciples, you're going to do greater things than I did. Like, Did you catch what we just read? That like Peter, his shadow, people were like laying the sick out so his shadow would touch them and that they would be healed. That's pretty wild stuff. That's pretty radical. And so the context really is that if you remember in chapter four, like I just said, they were before the Sanhedrin and they healed one dude and they got in trouble for it, right? Peter and John, were they were like, you can't do this. You can't talk about this name. And they don't even say the name of Jesus. They're just like, you can't preach in that name. And now we got many signs and wonders done, right? People are being added to the church daily. People are coming to know the Lord. And so that's what's happening. All right, you ready? Let's continue on. You're getting lots of Bible reading done today. Yeah, you can check it off of your list for New Year's resolutions that you don't have. Never mind. Okay, verse 17. But the high priest rose up. And all who were with him, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, that's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple of the chief priests heard these words, They were greatly perplexed about them. No kidding, it's your job to keep prisoners. You're probably in deep trouble. Uh, They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, in public, 
and they're teaching the people. Verse 26, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to speak in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Okay, let's talk about a few things. There's a lot of scripture, right? It's a pretty crazy story, right? They get thrown in jail, and an angel frees them from prison and tells them, go tell about all the words of this life. And so a couple of things to note. There's a deeping jealousy and antagonism by the Sanhedrin, by the lawmakers, but not the lawmakers, but the, the law keepers, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're jealous and they're antagonistic towards the new Christians because the new Christians are starting to be successful. We're seeing multitudes healed, saved, set free. People that are giving their lives over to Jesus. And it's kind of screwing up the whole system that they've got. And not to mention, um, like I, not to mention, they went against what they were commanded to do by the Sanhedrin, right? Peter was there both times. They told Peter the first time after healing the beggar, hey, don't preach in this name. And he does it anyways. And what did they say? We have to obey God and not man right? It's pretty amazing that they have that confidence, that boldness. The other thing to note is that there's increasing success, joy, and confidence in the early church, in the, in the early Christians, the apostles leading the early church. People are getting saved. People are getting set free. People are getting healed. And it's kind of messing around with the system, right? These, these people who are in power are not willing to say, that they killed the Lord. And Peter's like, you killed the Lord. And he came to save and set free Israel. And that's what he did. And you rejected him. So it's pretty harsh. They're having a harsh disagreement, right? And they, right, it ended with, they want to kill them. So we're gonna finish this scripture, all right? There's like 10 more verses. You got this. There's eight. Cool, quick maths. All right, verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Quick little tidbit about Gimaliel. Gimaliel is the teacher of Paul, who's not Paul yet. He's still Saul because he shows up in chapter six. So he's Saul's teacher. You know Saul, converted, walked to Emmaus. He's like, or not, the, yeah, on the Emmaus road, he like stumbles and the light and all of that stuff. So Gimaliel is... Gimaliel is Paul's teacher, and he says, okay, let's put them outside for a little bit. Let's figure this out. He said, men of Israel, take care what you do about with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. 
This is amazing. Listen to this. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. Awesome. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. These verses are amazing. Verse 41 and 42 say, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Wild, right? Wild. They were punished. And I'm sure the beating wasn't like a slap on the wrist. I'm pretty sure it was pretty bad, right? (laughs) So they've been told a couple of times, stop preaching in this name, and they continue to defy those orders. Like I said earlier, the church is moving by the power of the Spirit, right? The church is moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been given the Holy Spirit, and they're moving by the Spirit's power and their faith to do what God has told them to do, right? And so this story brings up some questions, but one question I think we need to ask is what does the apostles' faith produce? Their faith in Jesus produced, what, a potent gospel presentation. People were coming to know the Lord, right? Their faith in Jesus and their receiving of the Holy Spirit made them give the gospel in such a way that people were being added to their number. That's pretty wild. It also produced miracles. Blind seeing, lame walking, sick being healed. Their faith produced these things. And finally, their faith also produced a resolve to stand against opposition, right? They've been told not to do this. They've been told there would be consequences if they did this. But they were released from the prison, and the angel of the Lord said, go and tell all the words of this life. So they have a choice. Obey God or obey men, right? James says in the book of James, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What we do outwardly is a reflection of what's going on within, okay? And so the question of this story of the apostles, it begs of us, what is our faith producing? If the apostles' faith in Jesus, if their obedience to his words is producing miraculous wonders, people coming to know the Lord, the church's numbers growing daily, What is our faith producing? That's what I want us to talk about today. Is that okay? Yeah? Are we increasing like the early church in joy and in confidence? Are we witnessing the miraculous? What about this? Uh, Are we encountering opposition? If you're not encountering opposition maybe you're not headed in the right direction. Have you ever thought about that? If your faith life is smooth sailing, maybe it's because the enemy of your soul doesn't see you as a threat. (laughs) That's a challenge. You could take that as a challenge. I think that last one's super important. I see it as a marker of the work of God. It's always been throughout scripture and history that a move of God encounters opposition. Winston Churchill said, during the time of World War II, he said that a kite flies against the wind, not with it. 
right? And so if you take that metaphor and you say, okay, my Christian faith flies against the wind of opposition, right? Not with it, not saying, okay, well, whatever the government tells me to do or whatever uh, my boss tells me to do, I won't share my faith at nine to five. I won't share my faith in the public school system because I got to keep the status quo good. Well, the early church was anything but keeping the status quo. The Christian life is one of embracing opposition. If we run unopposed, do we really stand out? The gospel of Jesus that we share is one that rails against the ideals of the world. It's countercultural. It doesn't fit with the lifestyle that even the American dream has packaged for us. It's different. It's countercultural. It looks different. And that's the way our life should be. It should be a countercultural. Let's recap the story real quick, and then I'll get into a few points. We'll talk about the new year, and I'll send you on your merry way, and you can go on with your holiday plans if you have any. Is that cool? All right. So the church gathers together, right? They're meeting in Solomon's colonnade. There are miracles taking place. The Sanhedrin gets jealous and antagonistic. The apostles are thrown in jail. An angel of the Lord releases them and commands them to tell of the words of this life. The apostles teach in the public square, even though they're supposed to be in prison, and they willingly go with the guards. The guards didn't take them by force. They willingly went with the guards to the Sanhedrin, and they're not charged as harshly as they could have been, except they're beaten, which is pretty awful. They rejoice for being humiliated for Christ's sake, and they continue to gather publicly and privately, both preaching and teaching. That's the whole story in a nutshell. Cool? As we're considering this story, we're considering the faith of the apostles. I want us to consider our faith. I want us to consider the resolve that they had, right? And so none of you really raised your hand when I said, do you make New Year's resolutions? Well, today is your day. You're going to make some New Year's resolutions. And honestly, it's not just for 2023. They're resolutions that you can build your life upon, okay? And so I think it's a, a shame that the world kind of understands uh, I'm making a resolution, I need to be better in this way, but sometimes as a church we go, oh, like, I love the Lord, I'm doing my best, blah, blah, blah. Let's make some resolutions today. Let's decide that, like, being resolved and resolute in our decision-making, it's a good thing. Okay, are you with me? You following me? So how will this be your best year yet? How will 2023 be your best year yet? Let's make some resolutions for the year that we can see in this story. I have five of them and 16 minutes and counting. I think we can do it. What do you think? Great, let's go. Number one, let's resolve to obey God, not man. Okay, and what I mean by this, what really the scripture means by this isn't mean that you're like a dissenting person and that you just won't listen to authority figures. That's not what the disciples were doing, but they were put in a precarious situation. They're put in a position where they have to say, okay, I'm either going to follow what God says or the complete opposite is what this court is telling me to do, right? And so it's not this kind of thing that goes, oh, you know, I obey God. I don't need to be accountable to anybody. No, it's not like that. It's more like if it really comes down to it, 
and the government tells you you can't preach the gospel, but you know that's your mandate, then you have to obey God. No matter what that means, you have to obey God. This is an amazing declaration from Peter and the apostles. It's an amazing statement that nuances that has nuances of defiance against hell's authority, confidence in Jesus and the gospel, and victory over life's every circumstance. Right? You know, I have victory. I don't have to obey the ways of the world. And that doesn't just mean when somebody tells you not to do something, right? It also means like the way that the world is, right? We're so intertwined with the way that culture is, right? We make tons of decisions that aren't bad decisions, but but we often find ourselves thinking exactly like the world thinks. And the question is, is how much does that seep into your religious life, right? Because you don't really have a religious life and a secular life. You have a life. You just have one life. And so you can't separate the two. Do you live for God every day? Or is it just on Sunday mornings? Are you obedient every day, even if it costs you? Because the, the truth is, is the apostles were obedient even though it would cost them. This resolution challenges us to evaluate our lives. Where are we, we looking more like the world instead of the obedient people of God that the Lord has called us to be? Really think about that. Ponder on that. How do you obey? You follow what he says in his word. You live according to scripture and the urging of the spirit, regardless of the pressures of the world. I always think of Romans 12 too, when when I think of like, am I looking like the world or am I looking like God has me? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? Do you think like the world or do you think like a believer? That's important to think about. Evaluate your life. Evaluate the decisions that you make. And make that something that going forward this year and the rest of your life, you're going to say, you know what? I actually am supposed to look different. I'm supposed to act different. I'm supposed to believe different about a lot of things. Jesus himself said that if anyone loved him, they would obey his teaching, right? How do you know you love Jesus? Are you obedient to him? Are you trusting him rather than the status quo of the world or the rules and regulations that the world tries to put upon the gospel that you preach? Obeying God regardless of the outcome proves that he is Lord and that we are loyal to him alone. Is that cool? This year, resolve to obey God and not man. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Look to God first. Obey him. All right, let's keep going. Number two, resolve to grow in the confidence of the gospel. I don't just mean share the gospel. Absolutely, share the gospel. Have a confidence that the gospel has changed your heart and that when you present it, it could change somebody else's heart, right? I think it's so interesting that the apostles, the early church, they're so fervent in sharing the gospel and they don't have the freedoms that we have. Think about it. We have every freedom known to man, pretty much. And yet we're less confident than the early church in sharing the gospel. 
Don't you think? I think we're afraid of being the weirdo in the supermarket that says, hey, I just need to tell you about what Jesus did in my life, right? Or I think we're afraid that if we share the gospel and people won't receive it, that that's on us. But that's not on you. We weren't called to save and sanctify, right? We're called to sow a seed. And the Lord is the one who waters that seed, right? We have somehow defined our success as, oh, if, if I don't get somebody saved and I don't walk with them through sanctification and become their best friend and we go to church together and our kids get raised together, then uh, I didn't do it right. That's not your job. Your job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your job is to say, you know what? Actually, we were all steeped in sin. And guess what? God sent his son. Jesus came. He lived the perfect sinless life. He died. He rose again. And he's coming back for his bride. That's our job. You share that. It's not up to you who accepts it. It's not. It never has been and it never will be. So take the pressure off of yourself, okay? Take a note from the early church and say, you know what? No matter what society I'm implanted in, no matter what the laws around me saying what I must say are, go ahead and share the gospel. Because somehow in America, we found ourselves, we found ourselves having more freedom than the early church and being less effective. I know, that's a bummer. I'm sorry. Happy New Year. Uh, But we need to share the gospel because if we're not faithful to do what Jesus called us to do, it just kind of ends right there. We're not doing step one, right? We're not being obedient. And if you think about Acts real quick, in Acts 1, Jesus said, I will pour my spirit out on you so you can be my witnesses, right? You can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, The whole point of the book is that the gospel is going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and at the end, Paul is in the uttermost parts of the earth. This is our job. We're to be the witnesses of God, right? It's not just on me. It's not just on Pastor Michael. It's not just on the church staff. We are a royal priesthood, right? We talked about that earlier in 2022. We're a royal priesthood. We share the gospel. We have confidence in the gospel. So we have to consider what success looks like. I think go out on a limb. Sow a seed. It's not up to you to save people. It's up up to you to share who Jesus is and what he did. Right? Let the spirit of God change the hearts of people. So resolve to grow in the confidence of the gospel. Number three. Resolve to rejoice in suffering. Anybody down? (laughs) That sounds pretty tough already. But like we learned in this story, the disciples have been beaten for sharing the gospel. They've disobeyed the Sanhedrin and they're in trouble, right? And their, their response is radical. It's rejoicing in their suffering. It's rejoicing that they can be humiliated for the Lord. Oh, gosh, I'm so convicted about this because I don't always feel that way. Rejoicing and suffering makes you want to grit your teeth and just be angry, right? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. 
should be convicting for us. Uh, does anybody love when a product you're thinking of buying has like a satisfaction guarantee? I love it. I feel so good about that. I'm like, okay, 100% set. Like you go shop at Publix and then the little fine print on the back, it's like, if you don't love this product, you get 100% of your money back. And I'm like halfway through and I'm like, well, thank God I love it. It's so good. But if I didn't, I like that I'd get my money back, right? We all love a guarantee. I have a guarantee that I know you're not going to love. Jesus guaranteed rejection and suffering for his sake. We don't often talk about that. I'm so sorry. Does this feel heavy? Happy New Year. Welcome to church. You get rejection and suffering for following the Lord. Um, But you can do it with rejoicing. God has given you the ability to be rejected for him and to rejoice in the process. Man, it changes your life. It really does. If you can get this, I promise you, you can just, you can get over any kind of mountain that life puts in your way. You really can. 2022 was a great year for me and Brooke. We had a brand new baby boy. He's, he was in the room. He's not in the room right now because I'm guessing he's not doing so well. But He's amazing. He's fat and chunky and happy, and he smiles real big, and we love him. And a month after having him, Hurricane Ian happened, and we don't have a home for the baby, right? And although the Lord has blessed us with an amazing family, and there's room for us, there's room at the end, thank God, um, there's still a hint of suffering and this wasn't the way that this was supposed to be that this new season we were supposed to feel safe in our home and there's no walls in the home right and so that's hard but but Brooke and I uh, we say this to the youth a lot the girls are going to be like yep I know I remember but we say a lot that you need to pre-decide before you reach an intersection in life right you need to pre-decide something like okay when um you come to a crossroads and, and you have this hard decision to make. If you pre-decide that you're going to follow God, if you pre-decide that you're going to make a decision, once you come to the decision, it's so much easier. It really is. It's so much easier. I've already decided that. I don't even need to think about it. Actually, I'm not going to even be tempted by it because I'm not thinking about it. And so I would say the same thing needs to happen with suffering. Guess what? You're a human. You're going to suffer. It's going to be that way. That's just the way life is. Life gets hard sometimes. So before the hard gets to you, why don't you decide that you're going to rejoice in it? Yeah? Before the suffering comes, why don't you decide, okay, you know what? I know exactly what I'm going to do when the next hurricane (laughs) comes, right? I'm going to put out more sandbags, and I'm going to rejoice. It's going to be awesome. You have that choice. And so resolve today that no matter what suffering life brings you, you can rejoice through it. You can rejoice in it, right? Even without knowing how it's going to end, you can choose to rejoice in it. God has given you that choice. It's something he wants you to do. And man, when you do it, it makes every bit of it lighter. It really does. I can't tell you. It just really does. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God will absolutely use your suffering, right? And when I was talking about this sermon with my wife last night, she reminded me, and you know what else he does? He takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. He turns it for good. He works all things to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? He does, always, for our ultimate good. Even if you don't see it, even if it doesn't turn out the way you thought, it's always for your ultimate good. So, resolve to rejoice in suffering. Is that cool? All right, I got two more. I'm going to go quick with them, all right? Number four, resolve to gather together. You're here. You did it. So cool. Hey, everyone online, I got something to say to you. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You're doing great. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Love you. Glad you can watch. That's super cool. I'm glad we have that. Here's the thing. I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say, hey, you gathered together on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. You guys are the real deal. You're legit, right? So I won't harbor on this super long, but in my generation, there's a whole group of like postmodern Christians that say this. They go, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Okay. You don't need to go home at night to be married. Is it good for you? No, it's not good for you. Go home to your spouse, right? Like, of course, yeah, okay, whatever. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You don't need to have a happy marriage. You don't need to live a good life. Uh, the Apostle Paul always challenges me. In a few of his epistles, he says, like, you are the church. And yeah, of course he means, like, you are the church. You're, you're someone who bears God's spirit, right? But the way that he's saying that is, is that, like, as the collective you are the church. You people are the church. And the thing is, is I can't go off on my own and divide God's spirit and say that I'm the church on my own over here, left to my own devices and my own authority and not submitting to any teaching and not gathering for worship and not exalting the name of the Lord. I'm not the church at that point, right? I'm some dude, right? We are the church, the disciples and the early church gathered together and they knew it was an unpopular thing and they knew they could get in trouble for it. And guess what? They still gathered together. Those are pretty harsh oppositions, right? It's not just, oh, it's raining. I don't think I'll go to church this morning. Right? We've all been there, yeah? No, gather together. Be encouraged in your spirit by the, the brotherhood of the believers, right? Yeah. Come together. I love this passage in, um, I don't think I put it in here, but in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the gathering of the assembly, right? Encourage one another. Encourage one another. It's what we're supposed to do. It's not just a good idea. The church is actually the plan for the world, right? And the church, though imperfect as she is, is the bride of Christ. You can't hate the church and love Jesus. It doesn't work. Okay, so I know there aren't a lot of people in my generation here, but maybe there's a few watching online. You can't hate the church and love Jesus. You can't go be off on your own as somebody that doesn't submit to authority. You need teaching of the word. You need to know who God is. You need to be in community with his people. Otherwise, maybe you're not the church, right? So 
Resolve to gather together. And the last one, this will be quick. Resolve to follow Jesus in everything. That should be the first thing, right? Actually, it's the hinge pin of all of those things. And it's the thing that the apostles did first. They followed Jesus in everything. And look, none of us make resolutions except for me and Tyler. But (laughs) here are five resolutions for you. Make them something that you're going to go over this year, something that you're going to think about, because it's exactly the way that the narrative of the story plays out. They decided to follow Jesus. They obeyed God. They trusted in him, right? They gathered together. Tyler's awesome. Tyler's been helping us with our house. We're almost moved in. Uh, We'll probably start moving in this week. We're pretty excited about that. Praise the Lord, right? But Tyler, uh, other than me, Tyler's probably been there the most to help. He helped with demo, which I know he likes because he likes breaking things and smashing drums. Uh, So he helped with demo, and he... um, He's just been there for everything, whatever I need. He's always like, yeah, I'll help. Um, and so the other day, we're going to get lunch after um, working at the house a bit. And we started talking about, like, church and what we're going to sing this morning. So this was a few days ago. And he goes, we should sing Build My Life. We should sing Build My Life. And I was like, why? Uh, and he goes, well, it's a new year. And I just can't think of anything better for us to declare than to say, I will build my life upon your love. Tyler's just 19. It matters what we declare. It matters what we decide to resolve in our hearts. And so this new year, this brand new 2023, I hope you sense a fresh start. I hope you sense that God's mercies are brand new for you. And I hope that you would just resolve to decide, I will follow Jesus in everything. I'll trust him in everything. He's he's never, ever led you astray. He's never forsaken you. He's only been good for you. And so just resolve to love him. Resolve to follow him. Is that cool? I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to sing that song again. We're just going to sing it. We're going to declare it. We're going to speak as though, you know what? For this year, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build my life on the Lord. I'm going to build my life on the firm foundation of his word. I'm going to trust in him. He's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. Is that cool? Yeah. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much. He wants good for you. And he actually knows what's best for you. Yeah. So if you don't make resolutions, please at least think of those five today. Think about them. Maybe make them your resolutions for this new year and this wonderful life that you have. Is that cool? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean in. Until next time, have a great week.